Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. Got a really good Figured Out Baseball podcast today that uh, I'm excited to be joined by a former colleague of mine, someone I used to share a locker room with, which I'm really excited about. I love having guys on that that I know personally and uh, have a chance to reconnect with some people. We're being joined today by Graham Johnson, who's currently a pitching coach in the Houston Astros minor league organization. Uh, he and I were together for a couple years at Moorhead State in Kentucky. I'll give you Coach Johnson's full background uh, before we jump into questions with him. He is a North Henderson, Illinois native, uh, played his collegiate baseball at Culver Stockton College and NAIA school in Canton, Missouri. The team was very successful while he was there. They won the conference championship three times, went to three regionals and one super regional. So definitely a, a really good team while he was there. 2008 was his first chance to be on the field as a coach. He coached for one season at Culver Stockton. 2009 and 10, he spent two springs as a graduate assistant at Lindenwood, an NAIA school in St. Charles, Missouri. They have since transitioned to NCAA Division II but they were NAIA at that time. While he was at Lindenwood, he coached pitchers and outfielders. He also got his master's degree while he was there in strength and conditioning. In 2011, he was an assistant pitching coach at Western Illinois, a Division I school in Macomb, Illinois. Then from 2012 through 2017, he was the pitching coach at Moorhead State, which is a Division I school in Moorhead, Kentucky. While he was at Moorhead for three straight seasons, his pitchers set the school record for strikeouts. In 2015, the team went to the NCAA Regional for the first time since 1984. The team set the school record that year with 38 wins, also set the school record with 18 saves. 2016 team set the school and conference record with 554 strikeouts. They also had a starting pitcher that year that set the school single season record with 130 strikeouts. He was one of three pitchers drafted that year. Uh, that pitcher that set that record was a 10th rounder. They also had a 15th rounder and a 36th rounder that year. His last year there, 2017, they had a 6th round draft pick, the highest draft pick in Moorhead State in a long time. I don't know how how long that dates back, but the highest draft pick in quite some time at Moorhead. Then 2018 was his first season coaching in affiliated pro ball. He was the pitching coach that year for the Quad City River Bandits, the low A team in the Astros organization. That year, the team led the league in strikeouts and ERA. And listen to this. They had 1,514 team strikeouts that year. The next team in the league had 1,263 strikeouts. So they led the league by about 250 strikeouts. And that strikeout number is also actually the all-time single-season pitching staff record in minor league baseball. Pretty amazing. 2019, he was the double-A pitching coach, got moved up a couple levels, uh, was the pitching coach for the Corpus Christi Hooks. The team, again, led the league in strikeouts. This year, going into the 21 uh, 2021 season, he is slated to be the double-A pitching coach again. Uh, obviously, the Astros like him a lot if they bumped him up, and he's he's obviously doing very good work in the organization. Um, coach Johnson, appreciate being here today, man. So, you know, typically, Graham, I like to start with something from a podcast or from the uh, bio that stands out, uh, something that kind of catches my eye. But in your case, because, you know, you and I spent some time together, I'd like to kind of ask about, you know, how things went when you left Moorhead to join the Astros organization. I I felt like when we were coaching that you were a guy that could fit into pro ball pretty well just because of your skill set, because of the things that... You focused on things that you were good at. I thought, you know, those are things that probably could translate to a, a pro organization. And you were 
uh, I guess I'd say maybe in the first wave of college coaches that were being hired into professional baseball. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Just first of all, what made you interested? Uh, you know, and how you went about it. Did you apply? Did you get a, a call from somebody uh, that, that that got you interested? And then once you were in there, I'd love to hear about just what the conversation were, was like, and if you have any idea, just you know, what exactly on your resume or your skill set helped you to get that job. Yeah, uh, can definitely talk on and shed some light on that. Um, I guess the the first thing is is I didn't really think I'd, I'd have a shot at pro ball. Just and obviously it's changed and, and pretty dramatically just in this recent past. But it, you know it kind of always felt like you know you had to play pro ball um, to be able to have a chance to to kind of get in that coaching world. Um, so obviously was able to ride that wave of you know some regime changes and wanting to kind of change the way. Um, player development was done, uh, especially at the minor league level. So I was able to kind of, you know, be at the right place at the right time when that wave was coming in. Uh, but what really got it started was uh, a good buddy of mine, Dylan Lawson, who I believe you probably uh, remember. He was at SEMO and was at Morehead State uh, before you guys came on. Uh, he had been with the Astros for a season and then left to go back to Mizzou, but then was he was only going to be at Mizzou. I think he was only back there for one year as the hitting coach and then was going back to the Astros. Um, and he kind of randomly just, uh, you know, we were texting or we were on the phone and, and kind of just gave me the pitching coordinator at the time's email and said, Hey, I, I, I told him that I'm giving you uh, his email. And he's like, you know, just shoot your resume over and, you know, at, at least he has it, you know, nothing may come of it, but you know, it can't hurt anything. So I sent my resume, you know, didn't apply or anything like that. Just sent a message and just, you know, uh, at that time it was Doug White was uh, the pitching coordinator's name. So sent my resume over and didn't really expect anything of it. And I think it was like maybe a couple hours later, he had emailed me back and just said, hey, Graham, appreciate it. Um, would love to chat sometime. And uh, I think it was probably like a week later, we uh, ended up connecting on the phone. And like it wasn't really an interview. It was just kind of like, you know, what I think we're probably going to be doing here is just talking talking baseball, talking pitching. And it, we ended up talking for like an hour and a half, two hours, and but there was really never anything formal, and it just kind of ended. And then, you know, the process just kind of kept evolving from that from that point forward, and still never actually had to like really apply, but kind of felt like I was maybe going to get an offer, and it was right before. Um, and hopefully, I'm not bringing up a contract, but it was right before the 2017 playoffs, and. Uh, they got put on a hiring freeze. They couldn't. They couldn't make any offers. They wanted to wait until the playoffs were over. Which, of course, they they then go on to win the World Series and obviously have to do everything after that. So it ended up getting extended like another you know six weeks to two months, and then finally got the the job offer. Um, and that's kind of how how it went from there. It, but it was a little bit you know I, I wanted to be as as uh, you know faithful to to Mac and Brownie and those guys as I could, but. The whole time, it kind of felt like I was going to get the offer. I just had to kind of be patient and wait for it, um, and eventually did. But you know, it, uh, Mac was able to kind of have his ducks in a row um, to be able to make a, a quick hire once I was gone. But uh, I did kind of feel I was growing increasingly, uh, you know, concerned of you know the timeline, uh, not wanting to put more at stay in a bad spot to make that hire. But that's that's kind of the shortest version of how it all went down. I think it's pretty cool, and I love the fact that I do. I, I've talked with Dylan, you know, several times just over the years, um, 
And I know that wh- what's his position now with the Yankees? Is he their hitting hitting coordinator? Yeah, he's the minor league hitting coordinator for the Yankees. Okay, so he and I have talked a, a bunch of times. I think that's such a an interesting path. Uh, I've talked with several other minor league guys, minor league coaches on this podcast who have said similar things. They just they they knew somebody who knew somebody, or they kind of ran into somebody, or. And, and it was there. There, I haven't been many instances of guys that I've talked to that have that have just there's a job posted and they apply and they kind of got it blindly. I think it's how a lot of jobs, probably a lot of a lot of different levels are. Do you know exactly, Graham, from your conversations? You know what about your resume or what about what you did or focused on or accomplished as a pitching coach? What made you attractive to the Astros organization? Yeah, I think uh, definitely coming from like a background of. of you know, trying to develop was was a big thing. Um, you know, myself, but obviously, most importantly, you know, the pitching staff that you're currently working with. At that point, obviously, he was able to kind of look at the track record a little bit and see that our pitchers were getting better. Uh, guys starting to get drafted. Um, and, but if I was going to boil it down to kind of one thing, it would be probably like having a growth mindset of you know, just because we've done some things. Um, you know, that have helped our guys get better. It wasn't like, okay, this is our program now. This is this is how we're doing it. It was continuing to try to push the envelope um, to help guys get better. And if you were going to boil it down to one phrase or, or one thing, I think it was having a growth mindset. Um, that's a big thing within uh, the Astros' uh, philosophy and, and kind of how we do everything. So I think that was probably the one thing that really clicked with Doug. Um, and then um, once Doug actually got promoted kind of in that process, um, so I kind of got uh, shifted on to Pete Patilla, who uh, is basically our assistant GM at this point. Um, and and that, that's kind of what it came down to was, I would say, having the growth mindset or them being able to sense that I that, that that's where I was coming from, from a, you know, a mental perspective of trying to uh, develop guys. And, and a growth mindset means what exactly, Graham? Like just not I, – I view it as – not settling with you know the way you've always done things is is you're constantly trying to learn you're trying to involve uh, evolve um you know your process um but then the process that you're going to you know put your players through put your pitchers through for me um to try to help them achieve you know their goals and dreams because as more information comes to light um you know whether it's data or or anything mental skills um, being able to create a process for, for the guys that you're working with to help them get where they want to be. Um, that's kind of how I view it. Just along those lines, and, and maybe, you know, I don't know if you remember this part of the conversation or if you had this exact conversation, but I'm curious, you know, what I guess what kind of things are the most important? Obviously, you... You develop pitchers at Moorhead State. We had a bunch of guys that came in. I mean, all those pitchers that I mentioned that got drafted for Moorhead, none of them were drafted out of high school. I don't think any of them <laughs> – I'm not sure any of them had uh, more than like one or two other Division One offers coming out of high school. So obviously they they grew and developed a lot once you got them. But was it – you know, more than that, like as the overall team, obviously you developed some individuals that, that stood out. But as far as the whole group, the whole pitching staff – you know, do do you have any idea? I mean, was it, um, you know, the fact that like the team ERA kind of got where it got? Was it? I know you're not a huge ERA guy, but obviously that's a, just a stat that throughout the season, typically if you have a better pitching staff, your ERA is going to be better than it, it 
it would be if you didn't have as good of pitchers. Was it the strikeout numbers? Was it uh, your track record of keeping guys healthy? Because that's something I always noted at Moorhead. Uh, we just we really had a you I shouldn't say we, we you really had a great track record of keeping guys healthy and on the field. Uh, we we really didn't have. Uh, at least the, the time I was there and even the couple years after when I was following the team pretty closely because a lot of the guys I recruited were still there, very few arm injuries, especially serious arm injuries that require any sort of surgery. Like, Are, are, any, are any of those things, one or another, you think maybe more important? And I'm asking just uh, you know, for my own curiosity, but also if, if there's someone listening to this that's, that, that would love to take a path similar to yours, just kind of curious what sort of things stand out to pro organizations, if you know. I'm not sure if you know or not. Yeah, I think the strikeouts is, is probably a big thing, and I think it, if you're going to boil it down a little further, it's like creating the swing and miss, I think, is, is kind of the big thing. Um, when it comes down to it, is, is that's probably the thing that jumps out on the resume uh, maybe a little bit, um, that, hey, this is this is where this guy could bring value. If I had to guess, obviously, I've, I've never like just flat-out asked Doug that question or Pete that question as to what it was about me. Um, but I, I, I would guess that had something to do with it. And then that's kind of where our conversations led. Okay. Like I see the strikeout numbers, you know, how are you getting there? Um, you know, is it, is it velocity? Is it, is it spin? Is it change ups, um, locations, all that type of stuff. And, and the answer was, well, it's all of those things. You know, it's, um, I think, you know, someone's out there listening and, you know, it's, it's from a book. It's probably even a cliche. People probably, but like always try to embrace the power of and it's like we don't have to just think about velocity or we don't have to just think about location it's like yeah when we're training those two specific things yeah we probably do have to isolate it and just think about those things in that particular moment whether it's a drill or just an environment that we're in in that particular situation or setting yeah you have to isolate those things but you have to embrace you can get better at both maybe not at exactly the same time but like through your periodization of your training you can improve both of those things. Um, I think that was the big thing, and it kind of comes to back to the growth mindset of, like, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself as, as a pure stuff guy or a pure command guy, is, or if you are already one of those guys, like, you can improve the other uh, the other spectrum. Um, that's how you're going to make yourself a more complete pitcher. That's how you're going to make yourself a, a more complete coach. And, you know, our guys, you know, they were wanting to win games at the Division One level at Morehead State. But they were also, you know, chasing that carrot in front of them of, of wanting to play professionally. Um, so that was the big thing. It's, it's if you want, if you're coming from more at state, you know, you can't just probably be a one trick pony. You've got to be able to do multiple things because, you know, there's, there's one thing about the draft and there's one thing about pro ball you see really quickly. It's like there are a ton of really, really talented pitchers out there. So, you know, you've got to find every single way to try to set yourself apart from those guys because, the competition just gets harder and harder, you know, from high school to college to pro ball to the big leagues. Like, it's 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 a tough game, and everybody wants the exact same thing you do. Um, so I think that that's kind of where where it came from. Of you know, I think the swing and miss and, and being able to create it um, in as many ways as possible was probably the big thing um, that stuck up to them, and and it's probably where our conversations went. That probably. You know, I obviously got my foot in the door with the uh, with the initial email and phone call, but that's probably what allowed the phone calls to continue beyond that. So, how do you create swing and miss? I mean, at the time that you were doing this at Moorhead, we didn't have 
rap soto we didn't have the things that were measuring spin rates and spin axis and, and things that i'm sure you you probably pay a lot of attention to and, and get a lot of data on now in the astros organization so without having that tool graham how how do you go about to how do you go about increasing swing and miss uh you know getting guys stuff quote unquote getting their stuff to be better what's What's kind of the process behind that in your mind as a pitching coach? Yeah, so, I mean, you've got to try to constantly improve your stuff. Um, one thing that I always came from um, before we had all this stuff was just it never made sense to me to be a one-trick pony of, like, basically making yourself predictable. Um, and at that time when I came in to more at state, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, looking through our charts. I'm going through. I'm breaking down the percentages and obviously got a lot of lessons in uh Excel spreadsheets because I was clueless uh, when I first started that, but our, our buddy Brownie uh, really helped me out a lot with that and, and either creating it for me or helping me learn how to create the spreadsheets and just basically, you know, the initial thing was usage charts um, of understanding what is a guy potentially using too much that's maybe not his best pitch or what is his best pitch that he's not using enough um, and trying to, you know, marry those two things together I think was the initial quick adjustment that I was able to make at Moorhead State and, and help the guys um, in, in that regard uh, I would say that was the very first thing and then you know from there just kind of tried to step back and look at other programs um, whether it be in baseball or you know driveline or anything like that uh, you know the Jager throwing program with long toss and just try to pull everything that I thought made a lot of sense and then make it more at state's program um, was, was the big thing. Um, and just kind of make it all encompassing and pull everything that I thought was, was quality for, um, you know, developing guys or maybe something that didn't quite make sense to me yet. I didn't get into that with our guys because if it didn't make sense to me. I for darn sure wasn't going to be able to explain it in a, in a quality way to help our players understand it. So there was definitely like an evolution each year of adding to what we were, what we were trying to do. But if I go back to that initial usage part, most of the time it was our guys were throwing too many fastballs. Um, whether it was, you know, ahead in the count, even in count behind the count, it's, it's kind of like what you're saying. Usually the reason that if a guy's not got it, getting a lot of D1 offers in high school, it's because he's not lighting up the radar guns, which was the case for the majority of guys. Um, that we had coming into Moorhead State. So it's like, well, if you're not lighting up the radar guns, which back then, you know, we kind of knew a little bit about spin rate and velocity. Those were kind of the two things, you know. Um, it's obviously evolved a lot in the last four years beyond that. But those were kind of the things we were looking at. And it's like, okay, if we don't quite have that, we're, we're going to work as hard as we possibly can in, this, in these two to four years that we've got you here to improve that. But while you don't have it, we have to find another avenue to help you get outs and get on the field um, for Morehead State. So usually it came back down to, you know, slider, curveball, um, change-up development, and probably specifically the slider while we're at Morehead State. When you are trying to add a pitch to, to a guy's repertoire, or a guy has a pitch and is not very good and you feel like you can make it better, in, in the world without Rap Soto, because I know a lot of our subscribers, a lot of our listeners, you know, that listen to this podcast are high school coaches, and a lot of those high school coaches, at least on a regular basis, don't have access to that stuff. 
are are you Graham? Are you just kind of going through several different grips and seeing what works better? Maybe trying to manipulate uh, pressure points for a guy. Like, how, how do you go about either either adding a pitch or taking a pitch that's so so and and saying, all right, I, I think your curveball's got. You know, it's got a potential to be a pretty good pitch, or your, your slider's got potential to be a pretty good pitch, but we need to, I, I think we can make it a lot better. What is the process to, to do that, either to add a pitch or to make a pitch better that's already in the web repertoire? Yeah, so, so more at State, you know, and I was probably thinking about it wrong, um, but it allowed for some good things. It's my thought is, is and for those who haven't been to more at State or played at more at State or anything like that, like, it's, it's a hitter's paradise. Um, so... I didn't want the ball put in play <laughs> as often as possible. And, and, but along those lines is I, I thought we needed to constantly pitch down, down in the zone, down in the zone, because fly balls could get out of the yard very, very easily. So my thought process at that time was I wanted a breaking ball that could better tunnel, um, which, you know, there's somebody will probably get mad at me for even talking about tunneling because it's not necessarily something you can really truly prove but the technology is kind of getting there but um in my line of thought is i I was a big fan of the slider because that's a breaking ball in my mind you could tunnel much more specifically with a fastball down um and, and get that pitch to a better location where you could get a swing and miss with it so that's kind of why you know the slider was an emphasis there in terms of of teaching it yeah it's it's totally finding a, a grip that a guy is comfortable with. Obviously, I kind of had one or two that were a little bit of our, our bread and butter, but there was definitely some guys who were a little bit unorthodox of of how we had to go about it. But, you know, it's definitely finding something that, number one, the guy feels comfortable with and confident that when he throws it, it's, you know, not going to just do something completely crazy when it comes out of his hand. Um, so, obviously, it starts in throwing program. You take that to the bullpen. But then, ultimately... Back then, like you're saying, you, you know, we didn't have Rapsodo, we didn't have Trackman Portable, we didn't have Trackman, um, you know, on the game, so we didn't necessarily know. Okay, we're yeah, we're we're getting the horizontal break that we that we're looking for. So we really had to kind of let the hitters tell us whether it was going to be a successful pitch or not. And I think that was the big thing was you know the same thing that we were doing in the spring of looking at our usage and our charts and what's successful and what's not successful is we tried to do that same thing in the fall. Um, and that would kind of tell us whether we were moving the right direction or not of, hey, we need a little more horizontal break. We need a little less horizontal break, but maybe we can throw it a little bit harder. Or we actually need a little more depth to it. We need to be able to get it down on plate a little more consistently. And that was kind of just marrying the process of, you know, understanding what I was wanting them to do, taking it to the throwing program to train it, taking it to the bullpen to train it, but then like trusting it once they got out there on the game mound, whether it was an inter squad or, or, you know, once we get to the spring, you know, we're playing, you know, real competition of, you know, buying into, yes, I can throw this. I'm going to trust it, have confidence in it. And, but then we always would try to go back and make sure that, you know, the results were, you know, being able to at least marry a little bit with what our overall goal was. In the meantime, do we need to be making, um, you know, a big adjustment, a small adjustment, or do we just need to continue, you know, the direction we were moving? So, you know, we kind of had to let the game tell us whether it was working or not versus, you know, the way things kind of are now with you, you've got all the data and, and the technology. So that was kind of the next thing I wanted to ask you. 
is whether or not you still use any of those tools that you used back in 2012, 2013, 2014. I mean, now you have incredible amounts of data, I'm sure, that that tell you all that you need to know. But at some points, are you still doing the same sorts of things? Like, hey, let's mess with this guy's grip a little bit or mess with his pressure points or try a new grip or scrap this pitch and, and maybe add this pitch. Or, you know, just letting hitters tell you whether or not this, okay, despite what the numbers are saying, despite what the analytics say, we need to either we need to do something different with this pitch or scrap it all together. I mean, it, at any point, are you still able to do that with the tech that you have today, Graham? Or, or do you do you need to do that? Is that something you still like to do? Is that still a part of your world as a pitching coach right now? Yeah, we definitely do that a lot. Um, you, you try to be maybe a little more patient with it now, um, because. In the, in the minor leagues, there isn't so much pressure to, you know, win the game. Um, that's, that's probably the biggest difference between playing at the college level and then, and then the minor league level is, you know, I never want to say the wins and losses don't matter because you need to, you need to never lose that will to compete and get out there because ultimately what you're doing in the minor league level is you're trying to get to a level at the big leagues where literally the only thing that matters is whether you win or lose. Um, but yeah, we probably don't do quite as much like tinkering. I guess is what I did at Morehead State because it's a lot. Basically, I'm doing the same thing that I did at Morehead State, but the Astros have kind of created some way easier ways to to track whether we're progressing in the direction we want to make a small tweak to try to make uh, continue to progress in the way that we want to or. Do we need to make a wholesale change because we're not even close to where we want to be and, and it's it's been too long. We don't have enough time to continue down this road, I guess. So, yeah, I, I would say I'm, I'm virtually the same coach. Um, I just get to work, um, you know, probably with just, you know, a deeper staff overall. Some, I mean, some of the most talented pitchers on this planet and – then the system that we have makes it a lot easier to um, really for me to see, but then I can bring, it's easier to bring that, that guy, that specific guy in and help show him, okay, this is, this is what's happening, but this is what we want to have happen. Okay. And then here's the adjustment that we have to make to get from where we are to where we currently want to be. Just the, the process is a lot more streamlined now than it was when I was in, you know, 2014, 2015 at Morehead State trying to, kind of do it all on my own so uh when i was at moorhead you helped me a lot uh figuring out some deeper statistics some saber saber metrics um that were important and, and i wanted that for a different reason than you did i wanted it for recruiting purposes uh, so at that time i was the recruiting coordinator graham was the pitching coach and i wanted to find a way to look at junior college statistics and statistically pick out which was which which guy on our radar was the next one I needed to see. That was something that I, I wanted to do in my second year there. So so Graham and I had a conversation just about okay, more than ERA, more than batting average, what stats can I look at with what's available at the junior college level? Of course, they don't show these stats on online. Maybe the deeper statistics, but by looking at their their bats, their hits, their extra base hits, 
you know, for a hitter, for for pitchers, their innings pitch, strikeouts, home runs allowed. Like, what can I look at here to tell me what I need to know about these guys? And Graham was really instrumental with helping me with that. So right now, you mentioned to me earlier that you're not much of an ERA guy. That stat doesn't mean a whole lot to you. What are stats that mean something to you now? Like, what stats now as a as a coach in pro ball? What stats are actually important to you? And if you were a college coach today, or even a high school coach today, like what stats would you actually pay attention to that you think are relevant, mean something that that are are worth talking about and worth looking at? Yeah. Um, so I think I think the big one, when just getting back to what you're talking about, when we were, I think FIP, the Fielding Independent Pitching, was kind of the big thing we were looking at. I was really in, into yeah. that at that specific time, um, and it kind of helps you maybe find some of your pitchers that. You know you're maybe starting to lose faith on a little bit um, but it kind of takes some of the luck out of that can that can play into the ERA um, that was the there's some flaws in FIP but you know it was something that we were interested in at the time um, but I, to me the, the big one's always going to be K's walks and then the difference between them um, in, in in pitching I think that's the thing that you can ultimately figure out you know, how in control of the game is this particular pitcher. Um, I think that's going to tell you as much as anything. Um, if you, you know, go on fan graphs and, and look up the leaders and, you know, strikeout percentage minus walk percentage and look at the top 50, it's the best 50 pitchers in baseball every every single time. Like, so if you're going to break it down to the simplest version, I think that's that's definitely where you'd go with that is just look at the K's percentage, look at the walk percentage, and then and then marry the two and basically all I have to do is subtract them. Um, and I'd say almost always it will kind of tell you who your best pitchers are um, in, in that regard. That's if you want to break it down to one simple thing, that's the route I would go. So I want to talk about just kind of what you're doing day to day now, you know, when you are actually with pitchers, which it's been a long time. When your pitcher, when you actually get your pitchers, uh, when when you see your guys, the guys that are ultimately going to be on your team, what's can you talk a little? Let's talk a little about what you what the day to day is like. So let's talk about bullpens. I want to talk about bullpens specifically. Um, I think this stuff is really valuable. So <clears throat> let's start with a starting pitcher first. Um, I'm guessing that your guys are on five-day rotations, like a big league rotation, which is different than a seven-day rotation that you have in college. Can you kind of talk about what a what a starting pitcher's five days are like, and and maybe just a, a touch a little bit on like the you know what kind of bullpens they're throwing, maybe how many pitches with what intent, things like that, and just kind of like in the days they're not throwing bullpens, like what are they doing? So day one they they started days two, three, four, and five. What does that look like for your guys, Graham? Gotcha. Um, and, and just to give a little bit of background, from double-A down with our starting pitchers, um, this is going to sound weird. We have an eight-man rotation, but it's not an eight-man rotation. Um, we use the tandem system, so which um, uh, you know a lot of minor league teams do. But basically it means we have two starters in each game where one guy is actually making the start. Um, and then there's another guy who is technically a starting pitcher, but he's going to throw an extended relief outing in, in, that, in that same game. So we call him a back-end guy. And then it's going to flip-flop the next time their turn comes up in the rotation. And then it gets a little confusing, but the easiest way to explain it is every two times they make a start or a, a back-end outing, then they'll get a solo start. 
so they do get some you know some starts where it's just their game as well um but that's and that's what kind of makes it able to kind of rotate on the same process as like a big league rotation would start um it can get a little confusing but that's hopefully i've explained it the easiest way um so they start in and this is where i think it's really changed to where you know a lot of routines uh, back in the day, kind of would have been simple, and, and I kind of did this at Morehead State, to where we every guy kind of had like a very similar routine. Um, but it's really going to come down to the guy. Um, so you know, they make they make their starter, they make their back end outing um, day one the next day. We have a decent amount of guys who who either throw really light or or maybe even don't throw periodically the next day, um, and especially as we kind of get into you know the dog days of of the summer uh, and the long season, uh, you know, they definitely take advantage of that, of being able to take a really, really light day or, or just not even throw that day. But most most guys like to get their arm moving at least a little bit, um, especially because the guys, and then I guess day, so if day two is the day after the start, day three or day four, they've kind of got their choice of when they want to throw a side or a light side on one of those particular days. Um, we, we, we don't have anybody that won't throw a side. Um, the, at least that I've worked with, everybody will get on the mound at least in some capacity, but there are pitchers that out there that, you know, they, they feel comfortable enough with their stuff that they don't throw sides in between outings. Um, but most of the guys, if not all the guys that I've worked with are throwing, um, you know, their side or light side, on that day three or day four, um, then day five, it's, it's going to be kind of a medium intent day, but more skill specific. Just uh, They might work out a little bit, but they're going to do, be doing a lot of their throwing at the end after they've come in and they, they get 60 feet. It's going to be a, a decent amount of delivery work and then maybe a specific focus of some one particular pitch. They'll work through all their pitches, but there's going to be a focus on one of those pitches. And then, obviously, the day after that is, is going to be another game outing. Uh, sliding back to uh, the sides. So, a light side is going to be anywhere from 15 to 20. I mean, they may bump over uh, 20 just a little bit. That's going to – a lot of times that's basically going to determine – be determined on how they feel coming off the outing and then how many days they have leading up to the next outing and and that is as simple as me just having a conversation um you know prior to prior uh to the workout with them for that particular day of like hey how are we feeling today you know uh you thinking light side versus side if you want to go full side this is kind of what i'm thinking how do you feel about that if you want to go light side you know we may switch gears a little bit uh full side is going to be anywhere between 25 and 35 pitches um, some guys like to, if they get in that 35, they might want to try it. They may throw 20, uh, with a specific focus, take a little bit of a breather and then throw those last 10 to 15. Um, and maybe like shift their focus if they're, if they're wanting to, maybe they're working on two development pieces at the same time. Um, intent level is very much in pro ball a case by case basis. Um, you know, we have plenty of guys who like they're, they're throwing almost game like to the point where it almost makes you a little bit like nervous um, at times, um, but there's other guys who, you know, if they throw from 90 to 95, they're they're probably throwing, you know, 80 to 83 miles per hour in, in their bullpen. Um, so in 10 is a very case-by-case uh, basis, and you just try to kind of be there to help guys understand, 
you know, is their process hurting or helping their development? You know, so you, that, that's kind of where I really step in is try to be hyper aware of each guy, what they want to do from an individual routine, but then try to, once we've gone one time through that routine, try to make sure you're, you're making critiques to help them understand of, hey, this is the issue that we ran into the game. You know, we, we may be getting too much work. You know, you, you're, you're kind of running out of gas, pitches, you know, 75 through 90. So maybe we need to back off the midweek work a little bit. And then, but then there also could be the other end of the spectrum. I would say that's probably where, like, the majority of my, my time is spent of trying to help guys build and develop their routine in, in between. So it, it can shift a lot um, throughout the course of the year. So that was a very long long-winded answer but hopefully i, I kind of answered the question that was great i mean that's something that i i like to I like to talk about i like to hear what what guys have to say about that because as you know i just i don't know much about the pitching side of things and i i like to hear how people structure and and especially when it comes to um you know making things individual for guys when they have their side sessions the intent the number of pitches things like that those are all things that I, i'm glad i'm not in a position to have to make that decision um and i completely respect guys that that are in that position when you talked about like intent and goals for different guys can you just kind of talk about what are some what are some typical things that guys will be working on um in their bullpen is it is it things in their delivery that they want to want to kind of fine-tune or felt like maybe was getting away from them a little bit is it uh you know they didn't feel like they had this pitch last time out so they really want to focus on, on just that pitch and throwing one particular pitch. What, what are some examples of what guys are working on in these side sessions? Gotcha. So, um, like, to me, that was the biggest adjustment that I had to make as a coach going from low A to double A within a year of, like, in low A, it was just all physical skills. Like, a lot of delivery work, um, you know, pitch shapes and, and that type of stuff. That was 95% of the work. Uh, in, in low A. In double A, that's where it really switched to where, you know, a lot of times their pitch shapes are what they are. Their velocity is what it is. Their delivery is what it is. You're still trying to make some small tweaks. Um, but the big shift was, is shifting the bullpens in double A to, uh, you know, try to center it a little more towards attack plans and game plans, um, in double A. Um, as a, and then, so, you make sure that you hit on, you know, if they've got a delivery uh, segment that we hit on that in the bullpen. If they've got a, you know, a pitch that we're really trying to focus on and develop, we hit on that. Uh, but we also try to make sure that we we understand, you know, how we want to uh, be able to tweak our attack plans. So you st- structure it a little bit more along those lines in Double A to where, like I said, in Low A, it was you re- we were either almost always completely focused on the delivery or there was a delivery piece along with a pitch development piece. And then that's kind of where it ended, Um, you know, because they weren't ready, um, you know, from a physical standpoint to be able to to move on to the mental standpoint, which is kind of how I view uh, attack plans and and game plans and strategies and stuff like that. So there's there's a pretty big gap in double A from low A in – where in double A, it's, it's, you know, there's physical, but it's much more mental to where in low A, there was very little mental, but there was tons of physical things that we had to work on. When you talk about attack plans, 
is that preparing for the next team and specifically how you're going to attack them, or is that dealing with uh, like pitch sequences and like this? You know, for a right-handed hitter, this is usually a good pitch sequence for you, and for a left-handed hitter, this is how we're going to go after him. Like, how, what exactly does that mean for you? So both. Uh, you know, you're just trying to. We definitely are aware of who the next. Um, you know, who the next start is against. And, you know, some guys will get a specific of, like, hey, last 15 pitches, we're going to do three batters. It's going to be, you know, um, take, um, I'm trying to think of a, of a decent team to, like, say we're playing the Mariners um, affiliate. And next one's going to be um, Evan White and, I'm, how am I forgetting, uh, uh, Donnie Walton is their second base. And uh, and Lewis, we're gonna get right there. So we get we get two righties and a lefty. We'll do we'll right, left, right, and then he he would actually take the catcher of through his thought process and his sequence. Like some guys will get super detailed with it. Um, other guys are gonna be like, hey, uh, you know this team that I'm facing next. Like they've got they've got way you know they've got six lefties in the lineup. So I really want to focus. We're gonna do. We're going to do four hitters, but I, all, I want them all to be lefties. Like, I feel like I can handle the righties, but I want to make sure that, you know, I'm getting some extra work on my attack plans with lefties. Um, it could be a specific of, you know, okay, as a team, you know, they they swing, in, swing on curveball down a lot and fastball up a lot, but they don't change. Want to, you know, I want to work on that specific um, you know, portion of it. Like they can, our guys got really good at the end of the season of like understanding who they're facing and then being able to, you know, take, take their attack plans from their last outing against that team, see the adjustments they wanted to make, try to execute it in the bullpen, but just almost have that trial run of what they were going to try to do once they got into the game the next time. Um, so, uh, but it really comes down to trying to exploit the pitcher's individual strengths and seeing where they match up with the hitters' individual weaknesses is what it, you know, comes down to most most of the time. So even in Double A, I mean, you have an idea of the the specific hitters that you're going to face, and there might be, of course, they're probably not all nine guys in the lineup. You don't know who they're, you know, or, or you maybe not not concerned with them, but like the dudes in the middle of the lineup, like you will you will set specific attack plans for those guys at the Double A level. Yeah. Yeah, for the for the most part, yeah. Um, a, lo- a lot of times, there's probably going to be one to three hitters where, you know, you watch the film, you, you look at the data, you do everything, and, and the pitcher's doing the same thing, and you're kind of like, all right, if we just if we if we pitch to our strengths and we execute pitches, we're probably the, the odds are heavily in our favor against these three guys. So it's the other the other six guys in the lineup that you're going to do a little more extensive work, and then there's probably going to be a guy or two that you're kind of saying to yourself, like, not careful, but I'm, I'm not going to let this, this particular guy beat me. Um, but also at the same time, those guys have to realize is those one or two guys that you're talking about, those are the one or two guys that you've got. There's going to be a lineup full of those guys at the level that you're ultimately trying to get to. You know what I mean? So it's like you don't, there is a fine line of, like, being careful and not wanting to get beat in that particular game. But you also have to figure out how to get those guys out consistently. Because those are going to be the guys that are probably going to be at the level that you know you want, you are aspiring to be at. So there, there was a little bit of a fine line of where you, you kind of had to nudge guys at times of like, hey, like 
that's an opportunity where he gets a solo home run right there. That's not the end of the world. That's not hurting us. That's not killing your ERA. That's not putting, you know, the team in a bad position. Like, let's attack. Let's attack right there and let's make, and let's pitch to our strengths and see what we can do because that's the guy that you, he's going to tell you whether you're progressing the right way or, or not. You know what I mean? It's those one or one, two, three guys in the lineup that are more than likely future big leaguers. You know, they're going to give you the information that you ultimately need. You know what I mean? Like, we can give them all the data and the technology and everything, but at the end of the day, the game is going to tell you whether, whether you're good enough or not to do it at some point. So there was that, those moments of like, Hey, like these are the three guys that we have to learn how to get out and not only get out, we have to get them out consistently. So let's make sure that, you know, we're not just you know, pitching around those guys to try to get the other six guys out um, because that's not helping you get to the big leagues. It's helping your, your numbers, yeah, probably, but it's not helping you become a big league pitcher. So you did have to, to be aware of that a little bit. I was curious about that because I, I had a I recorded a podcast not long ago with uh, a coach in the Dodgers organization who's on the hitting side of things, and uh, basically he was at one point – he was coaching third base. He gave uh, a guy who was a future big leaguer a take sign or a potential future big leaguer a take sign in a 3-0 count. And it was a situation like the game situation. If you're in college and, and like just winning this game is it's what's most important and not embarrassing the other team or whatever, Like it was a clear, sign, clear opportunity to give a take sign. But in this case, he got called after the game by... You know, someone higher up that said, "Hey, did you give the take there?" Yeah, I gave a take sign. I just thought the game situation called for it, and basically he was told, "Like, you know, don't do that again with that hitter." And <laughs> it's like, okay, message received. And I was kind of wondering if it's the same thing with pitchers that they are, you know, do, do your pitchers, especially the guys that that have the brightest futures, do they kind of get told, or, or you sort of um, help them to understand that? You know, despite the fact that you might want to pitch around this guy, like this is the guy you need to get out if you want to prove that you should be, you know, moved up and, and ultimately if you're going to be a future major leaguer. Like when, when guys get called up from various levels, is that taken into account at all? Like what they have done against other highly ranked prospects as opposed to their overall numbers? Is that, do you think it has anything to do with it or do you ever have to have conversations with guys? Uh, because of conversations you have with someone higher up, like, hey, so-and-so looks like they might have pitched around some of those middle-of-the-lineup guys, and like we really need them to go after them, that guy and see what he can do. Like, Is that ever a conversation on your end, and do you think that has anything to do with call-ups? Um, I won't say that it never has anything to do with call-ups. Um, it, it probably is a consideration, but ultimately it comes down to is the guy being challenged by the level or not. Um, when it comes to the call-ups, I would say that's probably at least 75% of them is the guy, the guy needs a new challenge. Um, obviously, you know, there's age and other considerations and, and a lot of other things that go into it, but I would say the overwhelming majority just comes down to like, is, is he owning the level or is he not owning the level? And if he is, all right, let's push him. Like he needs to go and see if he can continue this at, at the next level because, you know, there's nothing really more for him to accomplish at the level that he's currently at. I, I would say that's probably the majority of what it comes down to. And, you know, what we were talking about, like, I probably should have phrased it a little bit different. What I was just talking about, like, that doesn't happen that often. Uh, of Because there's, there's more times where I have to probably remind a guy not to just completely go out, like, like, hey, we can't just groove fastballs right here to this particular. Because 
nine times out of ten, the, the guy on the mound is uber, uber, uber competitive. You know what I mean? The last thing he wants to do is pitch around a guy. Um, it's it's more something that like I just have to be aware of as a coach to make sure we're not falling into that pitfall of, of pitching around guys too often because you, you do want them to, to learn that skill a little bit because they are at times going to be asked to do that in the big league. So, hey, don't let this guy beat us because this win really does matter. So they do have to learn that skill, um, but it's just trying to find that right marriage of learning how to do it, but like not making it a habit of every time he comes up, all right, I'm not letting this guy hurt me. Like, um, you know, I'm just going to complete the pitch around and I'm going to go strike the next guy out. Um, so like I said, I, I don't think it happens a whole lot. It's just something to kind of be mindful of as a coach, um, at the minor league level. But, and I, I don't think it has too much to do with call-ups. Graham, talking about, uh, just pitch sequencing and calling pitches. I know that, you know, in college, I think the the vast majority of, of pitching coaches call pitches in college. And I don't know if they're, at least to my knowledge, not that I've ever been to this level, but the, the, to, the, to the extent of my knowledge, every pro organization at every level, the catchers, well, pitchers and catchers combined are calling pitches. Um, especially at the low A level, how much conversation do you have to have with guys about pitch sequencing and this is why maybe you should not have thrown this pitch here or I think you'd have been better off going with this pitch here because of that? How much is that part of the learning process or is that really up to – is that a conversation more to have with catchers than pitchers? Like are your, are your, are your, are your pitchers kind of taught to just trust the catchers and, and just nod yes or are you trying to teach them how to sequence as well and like why this pitch is the right pitch in this situation? Just curious about that because especially your college guys that get drafted as – as juniors, you know, they've got 21 years of their life without necessarily deciding what pitch to throw um, in, in a lot of cases. Just kind of curious how that goes on the pro side of things. Yeah, so um, the shortest answer to that question is, like, that's every day. Like, that's that's ultimately kind of the, the meat and potatoes of what we're trying to do. And and the big thing is, is using the data and using the technology to help them understand what their best pitches are, okay, and, and what are the pitches – that need to get better to, to be on par with their best pitches and then how, how do they do that um, and helping them understand why their, their pitches are good. Their pitches that are already strengths for them, help them understand why and then how they can use them in different ways to attack hitters um, specifically. So but it's, it's more so just helping them understand what are their put-away weapons and then helping them understand, okay, particular situations to where, like, I need to go to my put-away weapons right away because I don't want this ball put in play. You know, it's, it's run on third, less than two outs. Like, I need a punch right here, understanding that situation. And then helping them understand what are the pitches that give them the best opportunity to get the result that they're looking for. It's like, even even if they do it perfectly, there's not a guarantee. So, it's like you explain, it's like, I don't want you know to do this the exact way I'm telling you to do. And then you give up a bloop single over the second baseman. Like, I don't want to see a look in the dugout. Oh, oh, hey, I did exactly what you did. It didn't work. It's like, it's, it's baseball, man. Uh, but that's ultimately what it comes down to is, like, it's crazy to me, and it probably does come down to, you know, a lot of college programs calling the game, and then there's limited amount of time, uh, especially at the NCAA Division One level, that you can actually coach the player. So it's not like you're going to use – 
a significant amount of your practice time or time that you can actually work with that player to like sit down and, and break down why you call pitches the way you the way you do or or uh in particular for him you don't you just ask him to kind of trust you rather than understand it um but it's kind of interesting like how many guys come to us and they they probably really don't know what their best pitch is um so helping them understand what their best pitch is why it is their best pitch and then how to use it is is kind of like the day in day out goal and when you're talking to guys about their best pitch I, I, just to wrap this up, I have a couple of questions that are probably dumb, dumb questions. But um, to help a guy understand what his best pitch is, are you essentially looking at data and saying, "Hey, man, against this pitch, this is what happens. This is, you know, this is the batting average against. This is the slugging percentage against. This is how often you give up home runs against this pitch. Whereas this pitch, these are the numbers. Is there anything more to it than that? I mean, is it, are, are is is anything like? You know, spin rate, vertical break. Any is anything like that important when it comes to teaching a guy what his best pitch is, or just flat out like this is what happens against this pitch? Yeah, I think there. Um, the, the big thing is the results, like you're saying, but you you've got to be a little bit wary of that because there are players who are savvy enough to be like, well, I'm pitching against rookie ball guys right now, or I'm pitching against low A guys right now. Like there might be you know, five big leaguers in this, in this whole league, you know, there's probably a lot more than that. I'm just, I think you get where I'm going with that. They realize that they're not facing a big league lineup and, but they realize that that's the carrot at the end that they're chasing. Um, so you do have to be wary. I think when it comes to that, you just try to draw connections of like, Hey, like I'm trying to think of the, you know, Justin Verlander, like this type of fastball, like, when you do this, like the way it does what it does or how you throw it, like it's very similar to Justin Verlander's. Okay. Justin Verlander's fastball performs pretty darn well at the big league level. So odds are high. Like what we're, what we're telling you to do, I'm trying to think of the simplest way to explain it, but like drawing connections with guys who are at or have been at the big league level, like connecting their pitches to that big leaguers pitches. Uh, and helping them understand, like, yes, it's it's performing now, and it will more than likely continue to perform as long as we continue down this path that we're on. I think that's you kind of gotta, um, you know, hit them hit them from both ways on that. So here's an even dumber question, and you can defer this one if you'd like to. <laughs> but as a as a suffering Pirates fan, as you know, we just traded Joe Musgrove to the Padres. And um, with with Joe Musgrove, I'll use him as an example, he had a much more successful 2020 than he had previous years because in the past his fastball has gotten hammered, his slider has been very successful, but there were too many fastballs. So the overall numbers just didn't weren't, weren't as good as they could be. This past year he added a curveball, which was a very high spin rate curveball, got a lot of swings and misses, and it was almost like you know, he added another weapon that people couldn't hit, so he threw his fastball less, threw his curveball more, threw his slider more. The fastball still had similar numbers against it, but he threw it less, so the overall numbers were better. If you're a guy like that, Graham, because, well, I guess the, the sort of the revolution of baseball now and what the Astros sort of started, probably, with, you know, within a couple years of you getting there, uh, basically, if, if this pitch is getting hit a lot, stop throwing it. 
And why that took so long for people to figure out, I don't know. But it was, you know, baseball has always been sort of like establish your fastball, establish your fastball. And now a lot of organizations are seeing, well, the fastball gets hammered and the slider doesn't. So we're going to throw the fastball a lot less. That's the Garrett Cole story. You know, leaving the Pirates, going to the Astros. And I know that, um, you know, other teams around baseball are catching up to that. If you are that guy, which I'm, I'm assuming a lot of pitchers are that way, that their fastball gets hit the most, um, has the worst, you know, numbers against or, or the highest offensive numbers against, and this uh, one or multiple secondary pitches have a lot lower offensive numbers against it. When are you? When are you supposed to throw the fastball, <laughs> or when are you supposed to feel good about throwing the fastball, or confident about throwing that fastball that you know gets hit at a three something clip with a, a slugging percentage of a four something or five hundred clip, whereas your slider like rarely gets put in play. How how do you like? What's again? I know this is probably just a super dumb question, but when would I want to throw the fastball if that's the case? Obviously, you. I'm assuming you need to throw it at some point, right? Or to keep, to get guys off the slider, but like how often and what situations are you teaching guys, these minor league guys who are preparing to go into the big leagues? Like, okay, you're, 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 you have, you have four pitches. Your fastball gets hit the most out of all of these, but we still need to throw it sometimes. Like, again, maybe a dumb, a dumb question. You can simplify it or just not answer it altogether if you want. But it's just a question that I have. If you're, if you're a Joe Musgrove, like when would I even want to throw my fastball? What's the point of that? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of things to answer, but it's basically what I was talking about earlier at Morehead State of, it's like, all right, we're just, you know, we're kind of going to, we're, we're still going to throw the fastball, but we're going to throw a heck of a lot less of them. That's, that's kind of what we did at Morehead State is exactly what you're describing with Joe, Joe Musgrove there. Um, but I think there's a, a lot of different ways you can go with it is, is you can still use it as, as a, you know, there's still guys where it, it's almost they, they go reverse to where, you know, you were trying to set up the off speed is where you, you know, you try to set up your fastball in, in particular ways. And, and that's basically what you're doing by using more off speed. Um, but I think the other thing that you can probably look at it is, is you don't, you don't be careful. You still be aggressive, but you be aggressive to locations where, that guy doesn't tend to do his damage. Or when you do get it there as a pitcher, looking at your location charts, hey, like my fastball gets hammered overall, but when I put it in this one or two spots consistently, it doesn't get hammered there. You know, that's something that you've got to kind of kind of look at um, is am I able to use maybe a, a little bit of a different strategy with my location? As, as I've already done it with my usage, all right, I've switched my usage strategy. Is there an opportunity, you know, with with my location strategy uh, to do something a little bit different? Because, like you said, I, I don't want to just throw off speed. Like I want to be able to, you know, get outs with my fastball. Um, you know, when I get outs with my fastball, where do they come from? I like that. I like that explanation. And, and I know, obviously, you have to throw a fastball at some at some points. But like, what's you know, what's sort of the the line, I guess? Or and I like the 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 different you know, using different locations and figuring out. Obviously, in this in this quadrant, it doesn't get hit as much as this one, and, and it's just a matter of executing there. But uh, sorry for the dumb questions at the end, Graham. But uh, I appreciate all this, man. It's been a fun conversation. This is Graham Johnson, everybody. He's the pitching coach for the uh, the Double A team in the Houston Astros organization, or or is expected to be in 2021 and grandma i appreciate you being here man and taking this time 
Um, I know you're you're leaving tomorrow for spring training, so you know taking this time today has been awesome, and I very much appreciate it, and it's been great catching up with you. Absolutely, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I gave somebody at least something fun to listen to, or or maybe answered a couple questions that they had. But uh, I appreciate the time, Jeff.